My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Adam Cormier and Liam Hildebrand. Mainstream media outlets are not always known for their attention to complexity and nuance in the stories that they tell, nor are they known for centering the voices of workers. It's not surprising, therefore, that for all the attention that media have given to the oil sands in Alberta in recent years, there has been relatively little recognition that robust government support for the transition to renewable energy sources is, in fact, in the interest of many oil sands workers. Don't believe that. Listen to what workers themselves have to say. Liam Hildebrand and Adam Cormier are skilled tradespeople who have worked primarily in the oil sands. Hildebrand is a boilermaker and Cormier is an electrician. Both have been concerned about the environment in a broad sense for many years, and both became actively focused on the dangers of climate change in ways similar to millions of other people in North America. Hildebrand through seeing Al Gore's documentary film An Inconvenient Truth, and Cormier through reading Naomi Klein's book, This Changes Everything. And, like millions of other people in North America, they want both good jobs for themselves and a habitable, healthy world for their children. They also happen to know very well that these things are not mutually inconsistent, but only if we take action at all levels to jumpstart a just transition to renewable energy sources. An important piece of understanding how practical it really would be to make such a transition is recognizing that most jobs in the oil sands are in fact construction jobs, both for those in the trades and for laborers. Many of the skills that are required to build, maintain, and run oil sands facilities are very similar to those required to build, maintain, and run energy production facilities based in renewable technologies from solar to geothermal to biofuels and beyond. According to Hildebrand, he was on a job in an oil sands plant in early 2015 when oil prices were in freefall, and lunchroom conversation among many of the 600 workers, many of whom are fully aware that climate change is a very serious problem, turned more actively than ever before to questions of alternatives, renewables, and the future of their work. Out of that experience, Hildebrand and a few others, soon including Cormier, started Iron and Earth an organization of oil sands workers committed to pushing for a sustainable energy future for Canada. Though they are quite firm that they are not opposed to the oil sands, their main focus is on advocating for investment in renewable alternatives and on making sure that oil sands workers are equipped to make the transition to working with such alternatives. Their first major initiatives include developing a model program for training tradespeople to work in solar energy projects, and consulting with oil sands workers to develop a workers' climate plan. Cormier and Hildebrand talk with me about working in the oil and gas sector, about climate change, about the work of iron and earth, and about why they and many other oil sands workers are beginning to push for a just transition to a sustainable energy economy. We spoke by Skype to phone, 
Cormier was in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Hildebrand was in Victoria, British Columbia. My name is Liam Hildebrand. I'm a Boilermaker. I've been in the Boilermakers Union for over a decade. I'm a double-ticketed tradesperson, steel fabricator, and welder. And I've been working in the oil sands for the last six years and recently founded Iron Inner with a number of co-workers. And my name is Adam Cormier. I'm a Red Seal electrician based in St. John's, Newfoundland. I've worked in the oil sands and I've worked in mining. And along with Liam, I'm one of the co-founders of Iron and Earth. Iron and Earth is an oil sands worker-led group pushing for investment in group energy and retraining in renewables. For me, it was really my hands-on experience in a steel fabricating shop in Victoria, where we built a wide range of steel infrastructure, everything from building drilling rig platforms to pressure vessels that we shipped up to the oil sand. And we also built some biomass waste-to-energy facilities, and we also built some wind farm weather stations. And while I was working on the renewable energy products, I ended up coming across the film Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore, and uh, it was a turning point for me. I realized that my trade skills were contributing directly to the damage that was being caused in the environment due to CO2, and I decided to try to do something about it. I've been a lifelong environmentalist, conservationist. I hunt and fish, like a lot of tradespeople. And even though I'm an environmentalist, I still, like many Newfoundland and Labradorians, I've gone wherever I've had to go for work. So I ended up in the oil sands working and making a very good living doing that to support my family. But, you know, I've always had misgivings about it. I've always wanted to merge my trade skills with my personal values and Renewable energy gives me the chance to do that because I've got the actual hard hands-on skills to install a lot of renewable technologies. A big thing for me was this time last year, I was reading Naomi Klein's book, This Changes Everything. And that was the first time somebody really laid out for me how we can address climate change and keep our economy humming at the same time and how much of an economic opportunity the shift away from fossil fuels is. And that really made me realize that I can have a good long career and have the world address climate change at the same time. So this guy, Liam, called me one day in February and suggested we mm-hmm. get together and join forces. I was on board immediately. Last spring, I was working a three-month shutdown up at Nexon Long Lake. It was during the freefall of oil prices. And so... You can imagine hundreds of workers every single day coming into the lunchroom. The conversations are going to be about this incredible phenomenon that was happening that nobody had seen coming where we were seeing oil prices of $30 a barrel. Meanwhile, we were looking at what was happening in renewable energy investments that were surpassing investments in fossil fuels by double in a lot of countries. And we were really frustrated that Canada had become so dependent on a carbon-based economy. And we decided that 
it was critical to our personal survival and the survival of the planet to make sure that Canada was doing its part and that Canada was investing in the retraining of workers and the upskilling of tradespeople and that we were developing a manufacturing capacity for renewable energy products. So in these lunchrooms, you will have about 600 men and women, depending on the size of the shutdown and how things are organized on the job site. But this particular lunchroom sat about 600 workers. So you'll have these different bunchings and groupings of different trades. I was having these conversations with some of my fellow Boilermakers and they got very excited about it and they had friends in the other trades and on the job site you're working with electricians, you're working with iron workers and crane operators and laborers and so these conversations just naturally spread throughout the whole job site and a lot of different people ended up getting on board. But as a Boilermaker, my primary conversations were with fellow Boilermakers And so we were trying to figure out how to position our union within the renewable energy sector. And so immediately after the shutdown, I developed a renewable energy activation program with my fellow workers. We developed this proposal to our union. And so we had a number of meetings with them. But after about five to six months of negotiations and meetings with the leadership, our union decided to not participate in the program due to a wide range of issues. And we are still very hopeful that we're going to develop a formal relationship with them. I anticipate that happening in the near future, actually. And we have really good relationships with a lot of the leadership. But what we ended up seeing is that the faster route would be to find the real low-hanging fruit which is a series of five-day training programs to get tradespeople rapidly upskilled into a diverse range of renewable energy skills. And so when the Boilermakers decided to not participate immediately, we developed a campaign plan to get a wide range of tradespeople skilled in renewable energy rapidly. And that turned into the solar skills campaign that we launched on March 21st. So lay out for listeners, and I suppose I mean specifically listeners like me who don't necessarily have a very clear picture of what your work consists of, a bit more about the nuts and bolts of what you do when you're on the job in an oil sands site and how those skills would be transferable to renewable contexts. Like I said, I'm a red steel electrician, so when I work in an industrial environment in mining or the oil sands, I'm often running wire from point A to point B. I'm often hooking up controls for motors, conveyor belts, and making sure that conveyor belt A turns on when conveyor belt B turns off. I'm often running power to all the other trades so that all the other trades have whatever juice they need to do whatever they're doing. It's pretty complicated, and the thing about renewables and switching to renewables is a blueprint is a blueprint. And it doesn't take much for us to look at a blueprint for an oil and gas plant or look at a blueprint for a wind farm or a solar farm or a biogas plant and take our skills and transfer it to that new blueprint. Electricians are uniquely positioned for a lot of the easier technologies like solar. It doesn't take very much to retrain an electrician in solar. But one of the things our group is hoping to do is look at all the trades 
in all the technologies and match the skill sets of those trades to particular technologies to develop retraining programs for every trade. I'm sure Liam can talk more to that about things like biogas plants, geothermal, electricity generation, because I'm an electrician. I can handle the wiring of things, but I can't weld. I can't do steel work, that sort of thing. So I'm just one small piece of a much larger puzzle. I think a lot of people think that the oil sands is a bunch of drilling rigs and drilling rig workers extracting oil out of the sands. I mean, there's some rig work involved in some of the in-situ processes that have been developed recently, but the vast majority of the work up there is skilled building trades, and that is boiler makers. A lot of people don't know what a boiler maker even is, but we're one of the primary trades in the oil sands, and so we are steel fabricators and welders. We create industrial steel products, and we install and we maintain these industrial steel components in these large refineries, and they're actually upgraders is what they're called, but they have a very similar shape and properties as a refinery. We also work alongside iron workers that do a lot of the structural steel work. Then we work with a lot of crane operators because we're lifting very large, heavy components up sometimes two or 300 feet, like hundreds of tons worth of steel. And so some of the crane operators are very highly skilled in these industrial technologies. And we also work alongside electricians. We work alongside pipe fitters. So pipe fitters maintain more of the piping components, whereas boilermakers maintain everything more internal to the operations of these upgrader facilities. And we also work with laborers and insulators and bricklayers and a lot of scaffolders. Those are the primary trades. I'm sure I missed a few. The interesting thing is that once you start looking at oil sands workers as this wide set of skilled building trades, it becomes a lot more understandable how they might be transitioned into renewable energy jobs because all of these trades are required for industrial and commercial scale renewable energy products and systems. So what we look at when we talk about renewable energy, we look at large-scale wind, we look at solar, that includes industrial scale, commercial, and residential. We look at geothermal energy, that's geothermal power and geothermal heat, and also geoexchange. All three of those things are quite different. And we also look at biomass, and we look at biofuels and a couple other smaller technologies. So wind, for example, you have a large steel wind tower. And in order to manufacture that tower, you need to bring steel plates into a fabricating facility. You need to roll that steel. You need to weld up the seam. And you need to weld on flanges. And then you transport these towers sections to site. You have the foundations that are laid with concrete and rebar, similar to an industrial plant. And then you have crane operators and iron workers that are installing these tower sections. And then you have all the electrical work, you have all the maintenance, all the operations work. So a wind farm in itself would employ about six or seven different trades 
along with a lot of labor. And so a biomass plant is very, very similar technology to an oil sands facility. You have large piping components, you have combustion, you have exchangers that are transferring heat, and you also have biofuel plants that are very, very similar to an oil sands facility. And in terms of the initial campaigns that Iron and Earth has taken on, one is the Solar Skills Campaign. Tell me more about that. So the Solar Skills Campaign is our flagship campaign. It's probably launched in March. And the goal of the Solar Skills Campaign is to retrain a thousand out of work oil samples for solar technology. As you probably know, the government of Alberta has committed to phasing out its coal generation by 2030. That's a lot of megawatts that have to be replaced, and Alberta has excellent solar resources. So Alberta is looking at a solar boom coming up in the following years, and we want to make sure that the out-of-work and gas workers there now have the skills they need to jump on those jobs as they come up. So it's going to be, I think, an 18- or 20-day course. I think we're still narrowing down exactly how many days it's going to be, but it's going to cover solar voltaic. It's going to cover things like solar hot water and energy efficiency. And by the time the tradesperson finishes the course, they're going to be a highly skilled solar professional who's ready to go to work in the industry. We recently submitted a proposal to the federal government and the government of Alberta. We've had official meetings with both governments, and we're very uh, hopeful that our proposal will go through and we can get to work putting solar on roofs and getting workers trained up. A big part of the solar skills campaign is we actually are going to be doing a hundred different solar installations on top of government buildings and schools and actually getting workers hands-on retraining in solar and actually ending up with megawatts produced by the end of the program. So it's going to be a hundred installations with 10 workers getting retrained per installation for a total of a thousand workers. So we are actually going to end up with physical energy resources at the end of the campaign. And for the workers' climate plan that Iron and Earth is developing, what kinds of things are you asking oil sands workers in the survey that you've been doing? So the workers' climate plan is based on our workers' climate plan framework, which consists of our three-point plan. So number one, we are calling for the government to build up the workforce capacity in renewable energy. Number two, we're calling for building up our renewable energy manufacturing capacity. And number three, we're calling for incubator programs and support for unions and contractors and workers to position themselves within the renewable energy sector. And we've also developed two energy development priorities, which includes number one, we want to ensure that energy development is in alignment with climate commitments. And number two, we believe all energy development needs to prioritize the health and equity of workers, families, communities, the economy, and the environment. And so this framework was developed through our collaboration and conversations with workers up to date. And we've had wide range of support for these pillars. And so what we're doing is we're diving in through the survey 
into what different barriers exist and what the priorities for workers are and also really tapping into what the more specific vision is of specific workers, what kind of opportunities they're looking for and what their values are and what kind of solutions they see for implementing this framework. And we'll be presenting our workers' climate plan to the federal government. What do you see as the main challenges or barriers to Iron and Earth realizing its vision when it comes to renewable energy? One of the biggest challenges would be if we don't get our proposal accepted by the federal and provincial government. The process takes a while, so hopefully the timeline is also not a barrier. So we're very hopeful that's going to go through, but if we don't receive that money, to pull off these first demonstration projects. Our proposal was specifically for an initial 10 demonstration projects, which would be used to develop a replicable model for the remaining 90 projects that we want to complete in phase two. And other barriers would be that the federal government doesn't come out with an ambitious enough national climate strategy. One of the really interesting things happening right now is that there's a lot of talk about the ambitious Alberta and Saskatchewan targets to reach 30 and 50% respectively renewable energy by 2030. And while this is amazing, it's a huge progress and a great victory, it's almost not quite at the point where it's really going to start driving a thriving renewable energy sector. Being too cautious with our steps forward would be a big barrier. The biggest barrier I encounter is the idea that we have to choose between oil and gas and renewable. I've received a lot of support from my local IBEW union, that's the International Brotherhood of Electric Workers, Local 2330. And I've also had a few conversations with a few other locals across the country I think a lot of the people running my union are old school guys. They've worked in oil and gas and other extractive industries their whole careers. That's how they've made a living, and they've made a very good living doing that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with what they've done. But when we start talking to them about renewable energy and the fact that the world is shifting away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy and how we need to retrain and retool to meet these challenges and embrace the future of our trade, Those conversations, I've found personally, take a while. I find that there is an outdated idea that we have to pick one or the other, when in reality we can continue with our oil and gas economy and grow our renewable energy economy at the same time and gradually shift one to the other and keep our economy humming the whole way. I mean, the shift away from fossil fuels is the greatest economic opportunity of our lifetime. It's an absolutely massive infrastructure project that can keep us all working many, many years. One of the things I like about Iron and Earth is it's not against oil and gas, not against the oil sand. We're for renewable energy. We're for the economic diversity that renewable energy can bring. This may be a hard one to answer given that you're still in the middle of consulting with oil sands workers, but what would an ambitious enough federal climate plan look like to you? That's a great question. And It's something that we'll have an answer for more specifically once we actually finalize the workers' climate plan. I think this consultation process 
and the collaboration we're going to do in the development of this document is going to help us get clarity around that. I think the targets set out by Alberta and Saskatchewan recently are at the very, very minimum of what's required. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing what other provinces do and what kind of targets are established for beyond 2030. Personally, on my end, I just really want to see a long-term plan. The world is shifting away from fossil fuels. Climate change is putting tremendous pressure on our economies to do that. And I don't see any long-term thinking. I don't see any long-term planning. How are we going to use the next 15 years of oil revenues to retrain and retool our workforce for renewables? Just what is the long-term vision? I don't see any really bold, innovative thinking coming from our leadership. And that's what I want to see. I want to see bold, visionary leadership. I want to see a long-term plan that actually looks at how we're going to meet our climate targets and how we're going to grow our economy at the same time. Beyond the ongoing work on the solar skills campaign and the workers' climate plan, how do you see Iron and Earth continuing to develop? Like I said at the intro, I'm here in St. John's, Newfoundland. So one of the things I'm involved in is setting up a chapter of Iron and Earth in the Atlantic provinces. So we're in the process of setting up Iron and Earth East, and we're going to try to duplicate this kind of work we're doing in Alberta here in Newfoundland, Labrador, and the other Atlantic provinces. What we're seeing is a lot of these workers feel somewhat alone in their deep passion for these issues, and they're thanking us for existing and that they can be a member of this organization. So through that, we've realized there's a really big opportunity to create a community of like-minded workers, and that will be accomplished through this chapter-based structure. So we want chapters in every province across Canada over the next few years. And for these chapters to really be hubs for workers to meet each other, develop relationships, and develop local and regional specific campaigns. Everyone in Canada, almost everyone, knows somebody that works in the oil and gas sector or the carbon-based industries in Canada. So we highly encourage everyone to please reach out to these workers that you know and let them know about our organization and encourage them to sign our pledge on our website. Above that, we are trying to establish a monthly donor base. And if people are supportive of what we're trying to accomplish, any support would be incredibly appreciated. You have been listening to my interview with Adam Cormier and Liam Hildebrand. They are co-founders of Iron and Earth, a group of oil sands workers committed to working towards a sustainable energy economy in Canada. To learn more about their work, go to ironandearth.org. To learn more about the Workers' Climate Plan that was mentioned in the interview, go to workersclimateplan.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.